All right, and we're live. Welcome to the first Travel Banana podcast. We're here with Gio. Thank you, Rez. Gio, so where are you from? I'm from Italy. From Italy, nice. And uh, yeah, would you like to give just a quick introduction? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, thank you for having me, Russ. It's a, it's an honor to be the first um, guest of, of this new podcast. Uh, my name is Gio. I'm, I was originally born in, in Rome, uh, but I think I've always defined myself as a nomad because I've always liked to travel and I had to uh, change place for different reasons. Um, but since five years, I've been on the move uh, almost full time. And currently I work as a disaster management professional uh, with the United Nations Development Program. Um, and I'm fully remote. So I'm currently based in Sri Lanka. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, so how did you get started with that? Uh, well, you know, it was very random, but I had one class on disaster risk management uh, throughout my undergrad that was in Rome at that time. Um, and it was a very broad, um, faculty because it was called global governance so we would study about economics and law and and science and all sorts of things and among among others we had this one class on disaster management uh, taught by a turkish professor and in that moment i just i fell in love with this discipline and i chose that that was going to be my my life path wow that's awesome <laughs> so you just knew right from that yeah. class that was the way wow. yeah yeah and yeah, so what, what does that job uh, entail exactly, disaster management? When, like, what's your day-to-day yeah. look like? What kind of projects yeah, are for you many people, on? For many people, it's hard to grasp, including my mom. I think she still hasn't understood what I, what I actually do. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically, in my current position with the UN, we are supporting governments worldwide uh, to build resilience, uh, to phase uh, a whole plethora of challenges and crisis, uh, starting from the natural ones. Um, so that's our entry point, so to say, uh, with uh, earthquakes, floods, uh, volcanoes, and so forth. But then mm -hmm. also the work we're doing also encompasses uh, conflict and war, or sometimes uh, refugee crisis, because when you talk about the, the resilience of a system, it's about any kind of scenario, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. we mostly work on, on disaster preparedness and early warning, which are all the strategies that you implement prior to something happening or going wrong. So trying to minimize the impact or preventing it altogether. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you can do that fully remotely? Or yeah, you, I can. Uh, you, like meet up with people, your coworkers? No, it's, it's basically a fully remote position because in disaster preparedness, given that the crisis still hasn't happened, um, mm -hmm. Most things you can do online, and we're talking about you know contingency planning, strategic decision making, uh, training, these kind of things can all be done online. There are a few exceptions that I, I still enjoy going to the field uh, whenever I get a chance. So, for example, two weeks ago, I had to travel to the Philippines uh, because the Philippines is at the moment one of the most vulnerable countries in the world to climate change, uh, to crisis like with the geological profile, volcanoes, uh, earthquakes are on a yearly basis. And I had to go there because uh, we had to train an airport um, 80 kilometers away from Manila uh, for a big mm. earthquake that is expected to happen in Manila, actually. So like, some, once in a while, it does happen that I can be deployed or travel, which is still fun. But then most of the time, I enjoy my, my remote working. 
Oh, nice. And so you did you choose to be in Sri Lanka or that was that's just more suitable for your work? No, I, I just chose it based on my personal interest. And at the moment that is mainly surfing. <laughs> oh, um, nice. <laughs> so yeah, a few years ago I, I had more constraints in terms of as like where I could travel because of, for example, time difference with the people I was working with. But at the moment, uh, sitting at the HQ of UNDP, basically my team is, is global. So there are people in Geneva, there are people in London, people in the US. Um, and it's actually better for having people scattered throughout the planet because it allows to, uh, it to be easier to communicate with certain countries. So for example, now we have a program for the Pacific and it's convenient that I'm in Sri Lanka because it's closer to the Pacific. Uh, but in a way I'm required to be anywhere. So it's just my personal choice. Mm, okay that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah and so um yeah how's the cost of living there is it expensive in sri lanka or uh, well, is you it know, it's affordable actually, it is more expensive than i expected before coming uh but i think that is because the this year that the worst economic crisis since sri lanka exists as a as an independent country right uh the, the inflation rate was over 70 percent um so basically everything almost doubled in terms of price. Then still mm. with the currency exchange for more people bringing US dollars in the country, they don't feel the weight uh, as much as local people. But at the same time, it's a, it's a country that's been heavily um, discovered by, by digital nomads, by tourism and, and entrepreneurs. So there are many Western owned businesses. Uh, and for example, many of them at the moment, they have a, a menu that is in US dollars because they don't want to change uh, the price every time with, the, with inflation. Uh, yeah. So in general, yeah, it's more expensive than I thought, but still not, not too bad, of course, compared to other places. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I, I haven't really heard of anyone, any digital nomads in Sri Lanka. I know of like Bali's popular Thailand. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe Mexico is popular, but Sri Lanka, not. but you said it's, there's a lot of nomads there working remote. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is one of the top uh, destinations in the world as, as far as surfing is concerned. So there's like many people coming also just for traveling and surfing, but then many of them, they, uh, they found a way to stay long term and work from here. And I think a few years ago, in terms of uh, Wi-Fi stability and infrastructures, it was, it was way less developed than it is right now. But from my experience, mm -hmm. even in other countries where I've been in the past three to four years, you have co-working, co-living spaces, mushrooming all over the world. And this is one of the hotspots where many entrepreneurs they built, like for example, even the co-live where I'm staying at at the moment, uh, it was born two years ago. So, you know, I think it's only in the more recent times it's really becoming a hub for nomads as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah it seems like since 2020, they're just like popping up all over the place. <laughs> like co-work yeah, spaces yeah. and yeah and like so many people are working remote and it's like yeah it's amazing <laughs> yeah like, yeah like everything's getting easier like wi-fi is getting faster so so you're in um you live in the co-work space or is it is it just like you work there and you have like an apartment or something no, it is a co-living and co-working space. Uh, so it's very nice because in the building, basically in the ground floor, you have the, the shared community area uh, with like uh, games, musical instruments, like whatever to chill and, and relax with the other nomads. And then in the first floor, you have the co-working space. 
uh, and then the second floor you have all the the bedrooms. So I basically I live above uh, the co-working space, which is, makes it very convenient for just you know waking up in the morning. <laughs> You go down the staircase and then you can start working. On the other, sometimes I realize that it, it, it blurs the boundary between working life and, and personal life, if that makes sense. Mm, um, right, so but it's still distracted. Right. Yeah, because even even if I have to go out from my bedroom, basically I go through the co-working and then, you know, I, I see everyone is working there and it kind of brings me back to that kind of office mindset, uh, as opposed to when you're actually working from an office that you wouldn't, you wouldn't go there again. <laughs> you know right yeah right having that like division of space i feel is pretty important to like actually getting your work done and like maintaining a schedule <laughs> so yeah but um yeah yeah i was like a digital nomad in costa rica but i just like, found an airbnb i didn't do any like co-living mm -hmm. co-working space but uh well, you, you know feel... an additional i'm oh, sorry I just want to say an additional yeah, yeah, challenge like that that pushed me to, to choose a co-living and co-working space here is that, uh, as you might know, in Sri Lanka, they have continuous power cuts uh, throughout the day because of the energy crisis. Uh, so basically, mm. every day, there's at least one hour where you have no power whatsoever. And these spaces, they do have a power uh, backup generator, so it allows you to to seamlessly continue working. Uh, otherwise, it would be very disrupting if you're an Airbnb and you have maybe an evening meeting because of the time difference, and then all of a sudden you're uh, cut off from the from the digital environment. Mm, right. Yeah. Internet is key as a digital nomad. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, that's nice. So you have the stability of the internet, and then, uh, yeah, are you able to like network with um, other people living there? Is it? Have you made a lot of good connections there? Yeah, at the, at the moment, it, it is more quiet uh, than it was last year, from what they say. Uh, but there are still a few people coming and going. And uh, there are a few friends that are staying long term in the same way that I do. So it's it's nice people because also they, they work online. So, you know, it's like it, it can have that kind of productive part of the day together. But then when, when we both finish, we can just go out surfing or having a beer or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, at the moment it is more quiet. Like in other countries, there would be I found more more people working online, and it was easier to to connect to create that community in that sense. Hmm. Oh, nice. And uh, what kind of jobs are most popular? Do you, is it pretty uh, diverse in terms? Are there a lot of like programmers, or mm. is it all over? It, it is very. It is very diverse. Like, uh, I think, for example, even my job it shows how diverse it can be, like uh, the the digital nomad landscape. Um, but mostly, definitely, there are uh, software developers, IT people working in uh, UX design, for example, uh, back end, front end uh, development, and then. Uh, for example, the, the German couple, they're close friends of mine here. They are translators, uh, like freelancing translators. Um, mm. But then I've seen like really teachers, uh, therapists, uh, gaming experts, designers, like any, any kind of stuff, basically. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, and do you think this is something you're going to be doing long term? Or do you plan to ever like, go back to... Uh sort of go to office, stay in one place kind of life? 
so for me, I was never really in an office. I think my, my only experiences in, a, in an office based job were uh, with my internships. Uh, although one of them was in Indonesia and it was in a tsunami mitigation center. So like it was, it was still very dynamic, right? So we, I would go to the office uh, in, the, in the day to day, but then we did field assessments and we got deployed when it was a tsunami. So that was very exciting and it kept it interesting. Mm. I don't think I, I, I would ever be able to, to live in an office like full time. So my other option at the moment that I'm sort of exploring is uh, to get more, more into field, um, field positions. So to switch from the mm. preparedness side of things to the response. Meaning as yeah. soon as there's a crisis anywhere, you get deployed and you can go. And that would be sort of a trade-off and, and giving up where, like my choice as far as where I go is concerned, but it's more like whenever a crisis there is, then I have to, to go, uh, but mm. still it would allow me to travel. Right, yeah. And, and that could be anywhere in the world. You can get- Anywhere, yeah. Sent, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> That's like I would never have, have thought this kind of job uh, existed for digital nomads. So that's really yeah. Neat. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I guess um, yeah, maybe what's your what's your like daily routine look like? How do you set up? At the up moment, your, is like, like uh, it's one of the best ones that I've ever had in in any country. Um, because the, the time difference, it makes it easier for me to have a slower start of the day. Because for example, at some point I was in Portugal and I was working for a company in Turkey. So I was three hours behind in the winter, meaning I had to wake up at like five in the morning just for start working right away. And I mm -hmm. did enjoy it in, a, in its own way. Uh, but it was also like, you know, going to bed very early and kind of the whole working day was super early. But now it's the opposite because most people I work with, they are in Europe or in the US, uh, meaning, you know, I just wake up at six with the first light um, and then I, I spend two, three hours in the water surfing. Uh, and then I get back and I have breakfast with my, with my flatmates. And then we all start working around uh, 10, 10.30 in the morning, uh, a few hours of productive stuff. And then in the evening again, we can just um, unwind together and, and go out for the for a meal or something like that. Oh, that's awesome. That's it. And you're um you're in control of your schedule or does like you can work whenever you want at any time? Or is there like a um a I'm pretty flexible. Mm -hmm. At the moment at the moment there is a, a British couple living with us and they are they're working for uh, UK based companies and they really have the like sort of nine to five uh, work time but applied to Sri Lanka so it's like 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. And those are the hours that have to be online regardless of anything going on. And, and to me, like, that is sort of uh, being a captive in your freedom, right? Because it's really like you're bound to sit in front of a laptop for those hours. For me, it's like, it's, it's much more flexible. So in general, I choose when to work and when to do, when to do what. It's only like I, I have a few meetings every week and those are kind of my marks for like, okay, this day maybe I need to, to work from this hour to that hour, but it's not really super binding. Mm. Wow. And you get uh, I guess you get weekends off, like Saturday, Sunday. Weekends off. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Wow, that's awesome. How's the weather out there <laughs> right now? But, you know, actually 
today is very bad, uh, but because oh, the, okay. uh, what, what they've been saying these, these days, because in theory, the, the dry season started uh, about three weeks ago. So the rain in theory, like are, are supposed to be over until um, May or June next year. But what they've been saying is there was, there was some weird winds from India, actually, that brought a lot of pollution to Sri Lanka. So they were also recommending wearing face masks and, and avoiding being in the rain because the apparently is acid. Um, hmm. And basically the pollution is, is blocking the, the sun, the sun rays. So it got all super cold all of a sudden. Like last night I was with a blankie in bed. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So I guess yeah. it's unpredictable, the weather. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Oh, <laughs> and uh, when you, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, so when you go surf, you just walk over. Is the beach like walking distance? Uh, there is one that is walking distance. Uh, but I'm very lucky because in where I live, there are about twelve to twenty surfing spots according to how far you go, and they're all like top top notch quality um and the issue here now is like there are too many surfers i, I can get mm, very yeah, okay misanthropist when it comes to surfers because we are too many in every country so there's yeah. a lot of <laughs> cycling or driving around just to find the, the least crowded one um but there are many options so at the end of the morning you, you always find something just with a few people and uh, in good quality waves nice <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, when I was in Costa Rica, the, also the surf was very popular. Yeah. Yeah, a great place for surfing. So. Yeah, I was also in Costa Rica a few years ago. I was just uh, backpacking, but I was in La Fortuna, I think, on oh, the nice. Pacific Coast. Yeah, it was very good surfing as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's like a, one of the staples of digital nomad life. You got to surf, you got to be by the beach. <laughs> yeah <laughs> be in the <laughs> tropical climate nice and warm yeah exactly but, oh man yeah that's awesome um yeah i guess like maybe the question is how how did you initially find uh this remote job um was it through networking or through your school or was it um just it was, it was a mix it was a mix of, of school and networking because basically, do you remember the, the first class that I told you about uh, in my bachelor? That was with a professor from Turkey. Uh, mm. And then after I graduated from that university, I, I moved to Sweden to pursue a master's degree specifically in disaster risk management. Mm -hmm. um, and then after I graduated with my master's, I got back in touch with my professor from uh, my undergrad and I was like hello I just I have a degree now uh, what are you up to <laughs> uh, and he told yeah. me he was just starting um, a new contract in Istanbul for uh, for an earthquake uh, scenario that also the, the city of Istanbul is is awaiting mm -hmm. and so basically said you know I'm looking for a young professional like even a, a fresh graduate is okay so I just I went there at the beginning to to understand better the Turkish context and, and to see like what I was working on, uh, but the job was already remote, so it was through him. Then and and then he kind of kickstarted my whole disaster management career. Okay, wow, that's awesome. So yeah. I guess you'd say the that master's degree really helped you getting the master's. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, it was very useful because basically there are at least a few years ago there were not many programs on this subject because it's quite specific. And in the past, mm -hmm. it was mostly a collective effort of people coming from different uh, fields of expertise. So there would be engineers, there would be geologists, uh, climatologists, and so forth. But then now with the, with the amount of crises that we have every every year, climate change, and pandemics, and wars they realized that the need for a specialized person like who could have a holistic perspective on, on how disasters impact systems uh, worldwide. So basically the many professionals from the field came together and they decided to create these programs. So in, in the US, for example, you have a lot because you have a different kind of culture around disaster management with FEMA taking the, the lead in, uh, in these things. Uh, but in Europe, it, it was something very new. So. Uh, they, they had strong connections with the academia, but also with um, the big organizations working on this. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. yeah, so you, and um, yes, we, I, I know like getting a master's in the US can be very uh, expensive, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, in, in Europe, is it is it also a big like financial commitment or it's... it's uh, oh, no, man. Uh, it's a different universe. So basically, like, yeah. <laughs> I would say, honestly, like 50%, although like I knew this was what I was going to do in my life, uh, mm -hmm. the choice for going to Sweden to this master's was like maybe 60%. Uh, the other 40% was because in Sweden, the university is tax-free for all of European citizens. Uh, okay. So I had to pay nothing, nothing for two years of education, like top quality education. And this allowed me to be independent financially right away like as soon as i as i moved there uh and it was amazing you know yeah that's awesome yeah it's like <laughs> sounds much better than the u.s <laughs> yeah for sure so yeah i was looking into some master's programs in like spain and uh, the cost is so much lower it's incredible yeah definitely definitely yeah but awesome yeah and then um yeah, I guess, do you have any, um, any, like, any tips for people who want to work remote or maybe want to get into your industry? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. So, well, um, maybe for the, the listeners that don't know that you got in touch with me because of a blog that you found online. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love the blog. So the Thank you. <laughs> so I think that that would be a good starting point for anyone because uh, mm -hmm. the, the need for this blog basically it's a, it's a blog where I explain the main learnings and challenges that I encountered in this past three years that I've been working online and five years that I've been traveling um, mm -hmm. because many people often they idealize this lifestyle right they they look at the Instagram pictures and they go yeah that that is my dream life I want to do it but then they do not realize that it comes at a cost of adaptation of uh, emotional difficulties and so forth so for mm. me like the need for this blog was to really showcase what are like the, the full package because uh, people often they, they, they don't see it uh, and then maybe like the first thing for me would would be for people to really meditate and, and to consider is this kind of lifestyle right for me because maybe it's more a romantic version understanding of uh, of traveling but then well you, you know yourself right okay the, mm. the moon just arrived but uh, <laughs> um, and then once once you start, I also shared at the end of the blog a toolkit of resources that I, I just put together myself and with you know useful links, websites uh, that helped me out throughout the years and and you know 
finding better prices for accommodation, finding co-working and so forth. Um, so that would be a second thing. And then the third thing, just to connect uh, with people leading the same lifestyle, because uh, I think networking is the, the, the most valuable source of knowledge and, and wisdom in this, in this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just started getting on like Twitter and Instagram with this, like mm. my travel banana stuff. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible how much stuff is out there. There's like so many people. Yeah. So many stories, so many opportunities. It's like, yeah, it's like all online now. It's mm. so much, so much easier than like finding people in the real world. Yeah, yeah. Limited. Sadly to, and likely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But um, and did you have the intention of becoming a digital nomad, or were you more focused on your career and it just happened to? lead to a remote job? Yeah, I would say it was more of a byproduct of, of my career choice. Uh, mm. And I was very lucky in this sense because I think when I when I graduated in 2019, I think I never heard of the term digital nomadism before. So like, I didn't know it could be a thing. Um, I just knew that I wanted to travel and like this, cho this choice of, of getting into disaster management is also deriving from the passion that I have for traveling and getting to know different cultures and, you know, being on the move. Uh, but then in my specific position, it just happened to be that because this is very common, at least for disaster management for consultants, because usually the, like I'm a consultant even right now. So usually you have a shorter term contract is not open-ended, uh, mm -hmm. which comes with more instability and uncertainty in a way, uh, but also with more flexibility. So that's why like most times they're not consultants that are allowed to, to work from home because they might have multiple jobs at the same time. Um, mm. And I like this lifestyle because it's more, it's similar to freelancing basically. Uh, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, nice. And um, do you have any side projects or side work you do as well on top of this? Uh, actually, yes. Um, the main thing is a environmental NGO um, that I co-founded uh, four years ago, four and a half years ago in Rome. Uh, mm -hmm. And also this one started off as an entirely spontaneous project, uh, basically from cleaning up the beaches in Rome, where I, in the village where I grew up, because um, the level of plastic pollution is just becoming insane. You know, if there are, mm. there is so much whenever you go on the beach. And I just chose to like start cleaning up uh, some of this trash with the, my friends. And then this thing evolved very organically into, into movement, the brand. So we mm -hmm. set up uh, a legal organization, like it's more of a association. And now it's still active after more than four years. And we, we developed our portfolio to do more Activities related to environmental awareness, uh, school workshops, uh, festivals, all kind of initiatives connected to sustainability, plastic uh, pollution, and, and zero waste. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> that's great yeah. stuff. And were you always passionate about that? Like, since you were a kid, was that your dream? Like, your dream job? Uh, I wouldn't say it was, like, a dream per se, but I think it was more, like, a Part of my upbringing in education is my, my family and my mother 
like uh, there was a lot of spending time outdoors and and you know really being grateful for the small things that uh nature gives us so like there was sort of this uh innate respect and and yeah maybe respect is the is the most important keyword uh and just you know for example in my village one of the things that i find most dangerous is the normalization of pollution and the way people relate to trash just in mm -hmm. small things like your friends throwing up the the cigarette butts onto the sidewalk um or the person passing the the can from the car these kind of things they 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 became so common and so ordinary that people got used to it and they they perceived that as a normal behavior and then for me coming from my family i was like i knew this was wrong so i mm. basically fought it uh with all my strength because it, it's just it's unacceptable you know right yeah for sure yeah it's especially now with the population growing so much mm. <laughs> all the climate change going on it's, it's kind of scary yeah. <laughs> but, it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah that's, that's great that's great you're doing some something great for the world so all right. Um, do you have any uh, final things you'd like to share? Any last words? Um, not really. Maybe just uh, you know, if, if whoever is listening wants to to have more guidance, either connected to nomadism or um, climate change disaster management, I'm I'm also happy to have a chat and to support people because they realize how, like, as you said, there, there is so much out there in the digital space, but also for many people, it's just hard to find a kind of good mentorship or good information about what they're looking for. And mm. throughout these years, I could build a lot of experience and to meet many people essentially in, in different continents. And and in the past, you know, there were people that needed some kind of specific advice and then I, I could connect them to the right person for the kind of need that they had. Uh, so just don't hesitate to, to reach out and I'll, I'll be happy to help. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it can be pretty overwhelming on the internet. There's like so much information, yeah. information overload. But awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming today. Enjoy the surf. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Russ. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>